0: sounds like the future. Welcome back to this podcast from Purdue University's College of Engineering. Throughout this series, we're marking the college's proud history and bold planning. In this episode, we begin a two-part visit to the School of Materials Engineering. Dr. David Barr, professor and head of the school, is our guide through the innovations emerging among numerous materials, from steel to ceramics to polymers. During this tour, You'll hear excerpts from interviews with faculty members whose collaborations are on the cutting edge of research in areas like microelectronics, explosives, sustainable packaging and much more. I'm your podcast host, journalist Bill Schmidt, inviting you to discover stories from the college's latest material milestones. Welcome, Dr. Barr. (laughs) Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thank you. Am I right that uh, many alumni from the broader college might not even recognize uh, today the materials engineering scene that they saw back in their days as students?
1: Oh, yeah, very much. Um, So the school materials engineering, it's nice when the college turns 120, we turn 60. So it's, you know, we're half the age as a standalone school. We actually began before that in the 1940s as metallurgical engineering. Uh, And we transitioned to material science and engineering is the degree, but the school name materials engineering uh, in uh, the early 90s. So during the late 80s, early 90s, we had that transition from metallurgical to materials. So alumni that remember from the 50s, 60s, 70s, um, they remember metallurgical engineering when we did primarily metals back in the 50s. And then we added in some ceramics into the 60s and some electronic materials into the 70s. And every decade, we add a new kind of material. And so we're a much bigger and a much broader school than many of the alumni recognize. Mm.
0: And a large part of the school's growth is uh, attributable to the uh, excellence of the people and the programs and the overall education that uh, went hand in hand with the uh, advancing number and types of materials that you teach
1: about right so we we uh, in materials engineering you know we like to say we make the stuff that you make things out of and that stuff has runs the gamut from metals to ceramics to polymers to electronic materials to composites to biomaterials energetic materials we simulate all of these things we don't uh, we don't only physically make things we are Uh, we've been at the intersection of how do you predict and how do you model materials for dozens and dozens of years and we have uh, faculty that have expertise across the board Um, we're about the fifth largest mse program in the country um so you know we may be smaller than some of our uh, colleagues here on campus Um, you know we graduate somewhere in the order of 60 to 70 students a year at the undergraduate level uh, we currently have about 175 PhD students. So we are a research intensive, uh, program and about a little over 30 faculty. Um, and many of whom have joint appointments, uh, in other disciplines because materials impacts almost every aspect of engineering. Cause again, you can't make it without materials. Right. And speaking of the many aspects of engineering,
0: uh, necessarily, the school uh, teaches not just about the development of new materials, but the the designing and manufacturing and all of the ongoing refinements in each of these material groups, right?
1: Right. As an example, if you think about the, you know, steel is a material that's really common, right? We've had that for years. So what's new in steel, right? Come on, the steel industry has been around. Indiana makes more steel than any other state in the country. Um... So the answer of what's new, uh, about half the alloys in your car, uh, in a car being made today didn't exist 10 years ago. Um, So constantly refining, constantly making something a little bit stronger, a little bit lighter, a little bit less expensive, a little less energy intensive. Um, These savings, when you add them up, turn, you know, the the performance increase and the processing savings uh, is really one of the areas that materials engineers emphasize so we don't just work on you know we do a lot of work on the newest the greatest what's coming out 20 years from now but we also do a lot on how do you make sure that we have a really steady supply of constantly improving everyday materials and that can be everything from you know this uh, a can as the wall thickness gets smaller and smaller mm-hmm. uh, to how do you have advanced high strength steels uh, that go into cars to how do you create new materials like aluminum which is not really a new material right um but it's a new material in a lot of automotive applications um right and the drive of having something we all know how to make a lightweight car nobody actually is just happy if the car is lightweight if when you bumped into it it were to crush Mm -hmm. so it has to be lightweight and strong and so it's that combination of how do you control materials properties that our faculty teach the students and perform research on Uh, across the board.
0: So innovation in materials engineering can take many forms and needs to take many forms. Right.
1: We will have you know we have students that are making an impact in uh, refining copper right which seems again kind of old school Um, but that student will be just uh, in the office next to somebody who's making a new semiconductor uh, that is able to make light and electrons interact for an optoelectronic application Mm. so and to us that seems normal they're both working on materials there's not a uh, particular at the undergraduate level we do not train our students to be metals people or ceramics people or polymers people we train them to be materials people because they don't know what they're going to be doing in 10 years industries change positions change The needs at different companies change, and our students need to be able to compete in an environment that lets them help solve problems, not trap themselves in a specific field. Mm.
0: So within that world of uh, general knowledge and know-how, are there one or two innovations that you'd like to point out in particular there have been the people and the expertise behind those innovations.
1: So I, I think hopefully we'll have an opportunity to um, let let the listeners know and let our alumni know um, of things that have changed. You know we have faculty now that are working on materials that um, let's see if we go from the very small. Um, uh, we have faculty that work on nanomaterials and two dimensional materials. By two-dimensional materials, we mean uh, something that's an atom layer thick. Um, So graphene is one of the new hot uh, topics, but that's not the only kind of material. And so we have materials that will have very small dimensions, an atom or two thick, and we're going to move electrons in that. And those are going to behave in very different ways than they do bulk. So uh, the idea of where nanotechnology and nanoscience uh, is carried out, a lot of that is in materials development.
0: We spoke with Professor Haiyan Wang, a leader in thin film deposition, developing materials for the next generation of computing at nanoscale. She is the Basil S. Turner Professor of Engineering with a joint appointment in the schools of Electrical and Computer Engineering and Materials Engineering.
2: My research actually covered a pretty wide range of materials but specialized in ceramic material in particular. And we use a, a technique called a thin film deposition by pulse laser deposition. And then you can integrate variety of nanostructured e- in either layer-by-layered fashion or in pillar, in matrix, or some kinds of integrated vertical structures. And those nanostructures can be used in microelectronics, in spintronics, and the recent neuromorphic computing, and even the quantum computing scheme, you can use a lot of the new materials we developed. And uh, one of the things we are currently focusing on is to integrate some of the oxide with metal. So those two, used to be never married together, you know, those are considered as very dissimilar material. But now we can even integrate them into one platform to make a very nice nanostructured material for photonic application. Actually envision, you know, in the future, your electronics is no longer just by electron, you know, in other words, it's not called a microelectronics, called a photonics. And those will be interconnect, by photons, not by electrons. <laughs> so people envision in, in those will be much faster and lighter, compact devices. Basically, it will be revolutionary. I'm w- working more on the smaller scale, thin film, nanocomposite composite design. And we also have a professor Sriran ramanesan and he also worked on a new concept called a neuromorphic computing scheme. will mimic uh, the neurons in your brain and think about uh, a mature, a system can also do that the same way. You know, you can train the neurons and you can train the materials as well and to do many of the neuromorphic computing scheme. So a lot of new concepts are going. Uh, I think Michael Manfra, Professor Michael Manfra, who is a joint professor for material engineering, he's working on compute, uh, quantum computing concept and he has a Microsoft Center working on that area. So uh, working on thin film, he is doing a lot of thin film device, three five nitrides and integration with many of the quantum computing schemes. If you think about all your device, you know, iPhones, your laptops, and you know, iWatch. If it opens up, it actually consists of different components. And one of the core components, the heart of the device, is actually integrated circuits. And all the integrated circuits are deposited by layer by layer by layer of different materials, then integrated into a device fashion. And so, so that all the all the structure were made thin film, so essentially, yeah. And even though you said, oh, some of the solar cell may not. Be, actually, even the solar cell and all the other devices, a major component is by thin film. So because the thin film, you can think about thinner and maybe less than hundred nanometer, very thin, as thin as your hair, or even thinner than your hair, the thickness, and so that your device carries the function but not carry the weight. You know so they perform the function uh, computing function or light transmission or electron transmission function and but with much much compact size so you want your device to be very thin and light it, and hopefully even you can hold as a glass you know those has to be integrated on glass uh, a lot of work uh, currently ongoing with a flexible substrate and with transparent glass you hope your mirror can do let's say as an iPad or as an iPhone, you know, do all the display, those has to be integrated on your glass. And so those were all done by thin film technique. And thin film, we can also lay different materials together and integrate them together. So on one platform, different portion can carry different function. So a lot of new things can be done that way by thin film. I joined the 2016 uh, uh, fall, um, this is a shortly, only after three and a half years, but I really enjoyed the Purdue campus. It's very broad collaboration. I find many, many collaborators from chemistry, chemical engineering, civil, uh, electrical engineering for sure, and then many of the colleagues just uh, from many different research backgrounds, um, but we collaborate. We work together as a team. Um, very different from the previous school I, I came from. Uh, I really liked that part very much. And se- second part is I really liked the students here. So I want to put into the message to encourage young students, undergraduates, to think about mature science. Even if you are from different discipline. Um, maybe you want to consider material science as a direction for you to do. There's just enormous amount of new research and new direction waiting for you to discover. Uh, I just felt that excitement need to be delivered to all the young fellows and get them excited. Yeah, not only just chemists, the ph- physicists can do those innovation, material scientists too.
0: Professor Wang says Purdue's ability to assemble an array of partnerships extends to Active and talented alumni participating with their own companies in the spirit of problem solving.
2: You will be surprised. Actually, we were contacted by former alumni. They are all over the place: Intel, Micron, um, and uh, I think many. Those are IC fabrication companies, as well as many of the traditional. Uh, mature uh, company, for example, Plexair, uh, what's the other, Cummins, uh, Rolls-Royce, they all actually come to us working on senior design projects. The reason they want to do that is to hire our future undergraduates, all graduate students. Once they graduate, they carry the necessary technique or skill sets for their future employment
1: we have faculty here that are working on new high temperature materials you hear about um everyone that knows how to make an engine knows that if you can run it a little bit hotter it's more efficient so why don't we just run them hotter well because the materials with time will creep and deform and nobody likes it if their jet engine turbine starts to expand slowly over time and then hits the edge of then lots of problems occur um, so how do you have materials that can, you know, work in these extreme environments? Elevated temperatures, highly corrosive environments, materials that are in nuclear applications. So really high performance applications require materials that are both refined based on what we have built an, an existing material base, as well as discovery in new alloys and new materials that nobody's ever touched. Materials that are uh, used in high temperature or extreme environments um those are things that are uh going to impact a jet engine they're going to impact gas power generation and they're going to impact things like solar power generation you go wait a second but I thought solar power generation was solar cells so we've all seen movies with the uh map of or with a, a big plant with a bunch of mirrors pointing at a tower and the tower heats up and runs a turbine Um, there, I think there was a James Bond movie with this happening. Um, the biggest challenge in solar thermal is not how to put mirrors out. It's how to transfer heat efficiently. And so we have faculty here that are working on projects that are funded by the department of energy for making high temperature heat exchangers, because we can heat up, uh, material, we can heat up a fluid to extremely high temperatures, again, more efficient, the higher the temperature difference we can get between the high and the low temperature condition. Um, But if they can't move the heat through the solid or if it expands, if the pipes start creeping and growing and cracking, you know, there's nothing worse than superheated steam going, spraying out and causing all sorts of problems.
0: We spoke with Professor Matt Crane, a professor of materials engineering since 1997. He earned his Ph.D. in mechanical engineering from Purdue. He's seen the college change a lot from the days when metallurgy was more dominant and when Crane's own grandfather worked in a steel plant.
3: I've been on, uh, a professor of materials engineering here at Purdue since um, 1997. Mm-hmm. Before that, I got my Ph.D. here in mechanical engineering, so I've made a bit of a shift in emphasis in my research. Um, but it's still, uh, I. The research I do is a is a mix of what you can see in mechanical engineering and, and materials engineering. I'm very interested in metals processing, um, but and the uh, the heat transfer, fluid mechanics, mass transfer, and in, in materials processing. And we've done a lot of senior projects, uh, undergraduate uh, design projects with. Uh, with the same plant my grandpa worked in that's, wow, that's and um, so it's a it's a it's not the same thing the the, uh, the process that he worked on is that old building is gone it's a flat piece of land now um, but they're still making steel and they're still making uh, steel that people want to buy another one of my colleagues he's doing a really interesting project uh, for a, a pretty important uh, application um, and he's developing the alloys and he's developing the uh, the process to make it in a way that you can Actually, do it practically, um, and it's this is a work done by Professor Ken Sandage in our department. Um, he's working on several uh, uh, projects funded by the Department of Energy, uh, focused on materials for um, concentrated solar power plants. Oh. So these you see these things with these you know large arrays of mirrors focused on the tower, yeah. and they collect all that that heat from the from the sun and and it gets up to a pretty high temperature. and So you have to heat up a liquid, and that liquid, uh, you, can, you heat it up, and you can store that thermal energy in tanks. You know, it's hot liquid, and then you can, uh, um, through, a, through a heat exchanger, you can put that heat into a, a lower temperature cycle that actually then generates electricity. Most of the interesting problems have become the kind of problems you need expertise from more than one person on. So there's a lot of people doing materials research in and out of our, our school. So there's a lot of collaboration in, uh, among the faculty. Um, there's a lot more collaboration with uh, uh, people at other universities. Uh, Purdue's always been known for uh, collaboration with industry, um, and that that's, goes way back.
0: The School of Materials Engineering holds true to another Purdue tradition, Crane Honors. It's the university's deep-rooted dedication to work on products that make a positive difference for people.
3: There's opportunities to do a lot of good. I think um, you know, finding ways to uh, make uh, products uh, that uh, more people can afford, is, a, is a, I mean, it's really what we're about, is improving the standard of living for people, um, and that's got to be a good thing. Um, on the other hand, we want to make sure that we don't—we uh, do it in a way that uh, is responsible and isn't, it does as least damage to, uh, say, the environment as we can. Um, but the, the the focus here is really on and trying to to uh, to improve people's standard of living. That's really what engineers are all about.
1: We want to work on materials that have extremely demanding conditions. But we also want to work on materials that have a little bit more uh, conventional uh, conventional space um, that might not be quite as demanding, um, but have a big footprint. So something like packaging materials, Um, and so we'll have an opportunity to talk with some faculty here that work on advanced packaging. So uh, you know, there's a lot of discussion these days about plastic waste. Um, We have. Um, For the fact, for alumni that were here in the 70s and 80s, when we, you know, we worked on both kinds, country and Western, or metals and ceramics, Uh it's always a good day when I can use a Blues Brothers reference. (laughs) Um, The, uh, when we added faculty starting, we we were teaching about polymers in the 80s, but when we started adding faculty in the 90s that worked uh, specifically with research areas in polymers, you know, we went from having no one that there was main research interest back in the early 90s to now we have six or seven faculty who their primary research area is polymers and that can be high performance polymers that can be materials that are being used for uh, food packaging um, as an example if you want you know why do we wrap things in plastic in f- food and a lot of it's to keep out things you don't want you know to keep the outside out and um but you want to be able to see through the packaging often And you want to keep out things like oxygen because oxygen can cause food to spoil. So how do you maintain that balance of making increasing oxygen permeability? Or how do you make a polymer film stronger? Or how do you make it greener? How do you make it easier to recycle or to use recycled product inside of it um, so that it reduces the footprint? How do you make it biodegradable? So we have faculty that work on those kind of applications too. So something that, you know, a material that goes into a jet engine has a tremendous amount of engineering, and people say, wow, that's, that's impressive. It's just as impressive when we work on materials that other people think of as disposable because their footprint is big, and they're around us every day.
0: We spoke with Professor Jeffrey Youngblood on the Materials Engineering faculty, whose research ranges from heat exchangers to food packaging. All united by a passion for sustainability, he discussed the down-to-earth wisdom of recyclability in items we use every day.
4: One of my big things with it is trying to make sustainable food packaging. The big thing is is that food packaging. There's a lot of films. They use a lot of things that aren't recyclable, like polystyrene. Poly, you know, once they use some of the polyolefins because they're in films and various multi layers, they become unrecyclable about Coke bottles is about all you can really do. Mm-hmm. Those are really recyclable. So food packaging is one of these things that it's a hard concept. They said, well, just bring a bag, put your food in it. Mm-hmm. Well, you can double or triple the life of a cucumber if you shrink wrap it. Oh. Food waste is just as big a problem as plastic waste. Indeed. Uh-huh. Because of that, we need to package food. We need to safely do it. It prevents food waste. Plus, I don't necessarily know how to cook an Indian meal worth a dang, so I need to go buy it prepackaged. So what we need to do is be able to make new uh, food packaging styles that are more sustainable. And that's it'll both mean that we'll have enough food for people, because if, you know, you see all these reports, X amount, you know, X percentage of food just goes to waste. Well, if we make it last twice as long, maybe that don't happen. I'm mostly a polymer guy. So a big theme of my polymer research is in processing and characterization of sustainable materials. uh, Specifically trying to improve the circularity of plastics in the environment, and society, in everything. Uh, I don't work so much on trying to improve recycling as to use novel materials to uh, make things come from nature and go back to nature, specifically with cellulose uh, and a few other materials, natural oils, things like that. And uh, it's not enough to actually just use a natural material. Uh, The big thing is you need to have the functionality that you get of petroleum-derived things. I mean, chemistry has been very good at designing things, right? So can we get as good a functionality or better functionality at the same price or cheaper? Right, and this comes to what we call the triple bottom line. It needs to be, you know, functionality, cost, right, and sustainability. So, uh, I personally focus a lot on structural materials and uh, food packaging, as we just mentioned, and uh, trying to prevent food waste, trying to make materials that don't occupy uh, uh, what do you call them uh, landfills uh, that degrade away. Can become posted things like that.
0: Polymers for packaging demand ecological prudence, and so do ceramics for heat resistance in jet engines.
4: I don't just focus on polymers. I also do work in ceramics. Uh, ceramics. It's I use a lot of polymer processing techniques in ceramics, with the goal of trying to lower the energy uh, of how to process them, so to make them cheaper. It's sustainability in a different way, in a lot of ways. So one of the things that I point out to people that we tend to think of sustainability in very specific ways that uh, is basically fed to us by uh, most of the case, most of the time, non-scientific groups. Mm-hmm. But an equal part of sustainability is simply using fuel more efficiently. So for example. Uh, Professor Trice and myself have a project on trying to make, along in conjunction with MIT and General Electric, to make uh, efficient heat exchangers for turbine engines. People don't think about it, but one transatlantic flight—if you save one transatlantic flight uh, a year—that's worth as much carbon as becoming vegan times two. My group collaborates. I mean, once upon a time, not now. We, I have 13 PhD students, I think, something like that. I had 16, Uh, so I do a lot of different things, but we collaborate with uh, uh, Burke, you know, variety of places like that. Uh, We have, collaborate with other departments. I have collaborations with Civil on 3D printing of cement. I have collaborations with Triple E, with faculty there, because obviously sustainability. So, Triple E is gonna be a natural connection. Uh, collaborations with electrical, so we, it's very collaborative. Of my students, I counted today, in fact, uh, about three quarters of them are co-advised with another faculty member. So, pretty much all the interesting stuff is at the interface between fields. But the polite way is we're jacks of all trades, that we can do a little bit of anything, a little bit, we do a little bit of everything, uh, and that's just because there's typically fewer of us, and the teams we're put on, we're the materials engineer amongst all these mechanical and electrical and whatever. So you have to be able to, to talk to the electrical engineer, the mechanical engineer, the chemical engineer. One of the weird things that I describe to people about being in an MSc department is if you look at the background of the faculty, is we usually think a little bit differently than the, the classic chemist.
0: Understanding the panorama of different materials pays off for students who who find something compelling about the stuff that makes things. Practical problem-solving innovations sustain strong bonds with manufacturers, the broad economy, and the environment.
4: There'll be some fraction of people who always want to get their hands dirty. And that's, to me, one of the, the... Hallmarks of a lot of MSC folks is that they want to understand what things are made of how it's made uh, You know get in there and make some I, I Make references in class all the time to things like you know well when I was watching Forged in Fire Half the class watches Forged in Fire because to them it's like practical metallurgy So it's just kind of interesting. I mean, how many majors do you have somebody watching some strange show on? whatever it is, History Channel or whatever it is. Probably not many. I always said when I got here that my number one goal was not to win the Nobel Prize or any of that, but to go into Walmart one day, pick up some random thing, shampoo bottle, cleaner, whatever, turn it over, because I'm the guy that reads the ingredients, and go, see that thing five things deep that nobody can pronounce? I invented that. Uh, It may not be so chemical, but we're getting close. I mean, we have a, a Purdue-developed uh, innovation that uh, went into a parking lot uh, in South Carolina. We poured 240,000 pounds of uh, nanocellulose enabled concrete in a parking lot in South Carolina. Uh, we're hoping to put a bridge in soon where it's going to be a bridge in Northern California that's structural. So in that start, when people are parking on... Purdue innovation that I had a hand in it you know it you know it's it's cool
1: there's some new innovations we have in materials for say applications of energetics so materials that are used as propulsion materials that are used as um, explosives um, come up how do you handle materials that are going to be used to power rockets everybody likes seeing rockets take off and rockets land we are very excited that people, you know, Purdue likes to link its tie to space and astronautics and aeronautics. Um, Something has to power those things. And often that requires extreme temperatures and it requires it doing it in a reproducible manner. And now that we want rockets to be used over and over, some of the assumptions that people made back in the 60s when they thought a rocket was a use, use it a really expensive one and done activity Um, We have to be able to have materials that can be remanufactured, that can be tested, that can be verified, that they're still good, because uh, when you fail in those applications, you fail dramatically, and that's usually not a desired outcome.
0: We spoke with Professor Davin Piercy, who is on the faculty of both materials and mechanical engineering, with a research emphasis on energetic materials, propellants and explosives they must be designed with the right levels of sensitivity and impact
5: I develop new energetic materials Mm. of targeted application targeted sensitivity etc so energetic materials that encompasses all of propellants explosives and pyrotechnics Mm -hmm. I'm focused a bit more on the propellants and the explosive side currently but when you consider the materials that are used right now as energetic materials For example, many have toxicity concerns, there's environmental concerns, as well as safety concerns. And my group works to create new materials that replace currently known materials with better replacements that are either more environmentally friendly or more powerful. So for an explosive, that would be something for the military that's of better performance or safer to use. Mm -hmm. And for propellants, it would be something that can fly further with less material. It's interesting because I was actually trained as a chemist Um, And now I'm in materials and mechanical engineering department. So I've had a very interesting trajectory uh, getting here, which has been, I think, advantageous. But we do everything from the conceptualization all the way to small scale testing. So we're not putting this in a big weapon system. We're doing small laboratory experiments with these, So hundreds of milligrams at the most. Mm -hmm. And that's all you need to say what your material, uh, how safe it is and how good of a performer it is.
0: Professor Piercy says the largely hands-on nature of lab research benefits from the diligence of collaborators across campus and a team of undergraduate and graduate students. But they also rely on data analysis by experts in simulation and modeling who bring their own unique strengths to the School of Materials Engineering.
5: Right now I have four graduate students. I have one staff scientist and generally around five undergraduates per semester in summer. They really enjoy it. Um, there's, It's an experimental science. We're not on computer uh, you know, calculating things all day. We're in the lab trying to make things. And I think that that attracts a lot of people, but it's not at the exclusion of calculation. We collaborate with modelers uh, extensively to predict what materials we're going to be trying to make. So our materials
1: uh, really cross Uh, all sorts of applications, and uh, we'll have an opportunity to highlight a few of the research activities that are occurring right now. Um, I think the other thing that's important for us to note is that we teach our students this breadth of materials, and we tend to focus uh, within the materials community that how you make it is as important as how it performs. So uh, materials aren't just things you find in handbooks. Materials are things that are created curated, tested, validated, and then used in industry. Um, And we want our students to be able to participate in all those stages. So we have students that work at the very beginning of the materials lifespan, and we have students that work on remanufacturing or recycling at the end of the lifespan. Because, uh, you know, one of the things is we get materials from somewhere, and it takes energy, and we want to use as little of that as possible to make the highest performance possible for a particular application. The future's just beginning at the College
0: of Engineering. And there's more to this interview with David Barr, along with faculty describing their materials research. Catch excerpts in Episode 2. And our show notes. Visit the school at engineering.purdue.edu. Our theme music, More to Come, is by C. Chris Peters, Audio production by Purdue grad and staff member Saad Mukhtar. I'm Bill Schmidt. See you in the future.